0: This podcast is brought to you by Yeshivat Tekoa under the auspices of the Steinzalt Center. The Steinzalt Center is responsible for all the activities of Rabbi Adin Eben Yisrael Steinzaltz. Its goal is to promote the Rabbi's mission of Let My People Know, making a world of Jewish knowledge accessible to all. The Center's activities include publishing the Rabbi's writings and teachings, establishing educational programs and centers, and much more. For more information, please Google the Steinsalt Center or enter the link in the podcast description. The Thirteen-Petaled Rose, a discourse on the essence of Jewish existence and belief. Written by Rabbi Evan Yisrael Steinsatz. Chapter 9, The Search for Oneself Throughout life, one asks the same question in many forms. This question lies at the heart of a search for oneself, a search that begins with the first glimmer of consciousness and continues to the very last breath. For every human being, it varies, and at every stage of his life. Often the search is conducted without any intellectual comprehension of what one is about. Sometimes the subtlest philosophical nuances of thought and speculation may be brought into play, and at others the question does not even rise to consciousness. But one never really extricates oneself from the context of the issue, who am I? and from its cloreries, where do I come from? Where am I going? What for? Why? One's first thoughts, even in infancy, are attempts to probe the limits and distinctions of the self as against those of the world. Later, the same riddle of existence assumes innumerable disguises, even the disguise of simplicity, when the answer seems to lie in the palm of one's hand and the problem barely seems worth bothering with. Although, even then, the question persists subconsciously and works its effect deviously. Virtually, all of the investigation a person ever does, whether of himself or of problems outside himself, consists for the most part of pyramids upon pyramids of answers to that basic question about the essence of his being. To be sure, it takes both time and considerable introspection to get beyond the elaborate mental construction, the words and ideas devised by everyone. Often, too, a person will feel that he can make do with partial pragmatic answers, that he has as much as he can handle just coping with the necessities of the everyday. In this way, he evades the primary question, even though an answer to it could supply meaning to everything else, because in addition to being primary and natural, the question of identity is also threatening, and not only stirs a vast number of possible answers, but offers a glimpse into an abyss of yet further and unanswerable questions. So it is that people so frequently speed up their pace in the race to achieve the things they desire and find themselves running away from the question of why, of who is so desperately pursuing these desires. Even though the question of the selves is one that has since the beginning of time been contemplated by many profound minds, it is not really a philosophical problem. Philosophical, psychological or scientific treatment of it only provides different frameworks and forms of expressions for answers that are in any case continuously being proven inadequate. Philosophy, psychology, science, all merely isolate the basic problem within an observable small field, where it can in turn be broken down into secondary problems, every one of which may, by itself, be important and certainly interesting, but, taken together, nevertheless seem far removed from any truly satisfactory response to the question of one's place in the world. Such a response can come only from within. It cannot be supplied within any other frame of reference or merely by ideas or symbols. The question appears in the very first story of the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve. After committing their primal sin, they are frightened and hide themselves among the trees of the garden. The voice of God is heard calling unto Adam, Where art thou? This question, like the entire tale, is emblematic of human life. If only man as an individual, if only the race of man as a whole, were able to forswear the sin of the tree of knowledge, the sin of knowing, for which there is no real corresponding need in the soul, he would perhaps also avoid the sin of responding to the question before it has arisen. When man knows more than he needs to know, when what he learns are no more than fragments of information, heaps of unrelated facts which, whether they are correct or incorrect, become a barrier to experience itself. Were it not for the obfuscation inevitable In the formulation of answers without question, that is, answers without inner, immediate meaning, man might, like other creatures, have been able to feel the essence of himself more clearly and simply. There would be no problem about the direction he has to take. His instinctual makeup, the elementary existence in him, would guide him to finding his place in the world and to his understanding of himself. But after the sin of knowingness, the luminous simplicity of his way is lost to him. He does indeed gain the power of doubt and uncertainty, but he loses the primal feeling of his place and position. And therefore the questions, it is one question really, with which a man begins, are not the same and not the one he might have dared to ask in purity. Where am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? This question he hears, not from within, but from without. As the voice of God asking Adam what he does, not dare to ask himself, Where art thou? And thus he may repeat to himself indeed, Where am I? The only thing he can say with any degree of certainty, is that he has lost his way and is hiding. He cannot say anything more positive. The point is that the consequence of sin, whether experienced directly or indirectly, in the guise of open or repressed guilt feelings, is that man hides himself from God, that the place he happens to be is a hiding place, And in order for him to move at all, he has to hear the question, Where? Where are you? The voice in the garden is still reverberating throughout the world, and it is still heard, not always openly or in full consciousness, but nevertheless still heard in one way or another in a person's soul. Even when one is totally ignorant of the fact that the voice is the voice of God. One can nevertheless frequently hear what it says. Where are you? Where am I? The question can be invoked in full consciousness and, on the other hand, can also come to a person not only when he is hiding from God, but even when he does not know that he is hiding from him. The question can present itself to someone hopelessly, without aim or purpose, just as it can haunt someone who imagines that everything is clear and understandable to him. To anyone at any time, whatever the question may be flung, where are you? What is more, in being aware that the question is asked of one, there is still deeper significance, so inwardly subtle, that not everyone discerns it. The person really listening to the question or to life's echo of it may, in his attentiveness and in his reflection on what he hears, be able to discern not only the elemental issue but even the voice of the one asking the question. In other words, this question about where I am in my world is outwardly one that a person can ask of himself, but inwardly it is the voice of God speaking to man, to man who has lost his way. And the moment a person reaches this awareness, he can grasp something which, with all the pain of the question, with all the fearful terror and awe of an encounter with God, leads to that which is larger and more glorious. For the question of where I am, The question of a man who confronts himself alone, even if he is within a family, a community, a nation, and even if he feels at home in the world, this utterly solitary question is fundamentally resolved at the moment when a person realizes that is the other side of the question God asks of man, where are you? This then is a response to despair to the unanswered plea of the bereaved and bewildered, to the lost son who cannot find a home, it is the other voice asking the very same question. The search for the self, in other words, the search for the essence, the inwardness, and the way of the soul, stems from the recognition that one is alone in the world. When a man stands suddenly alone in the world, When everything seems to be addressed only to him, then there is no aspect of reality that does not challenge him. He has to relate to this person or that situation. He has to judge and resolve all the problems of the world with himself at its center. It would appear that the real agony begins when one's horizons in this world expand, as one rises from one level to another and as one's intellect and imagination encompass more of the domain of the human. With external reality pressing heavily on man, the physical, the philosophical, the psychological questions only intensify the urgency of the basic question of the self. Man may thus deepen his inner essence in his solitariness, making it something quite separate and special, adding new powers and talents, new ways of seeing things, sometimes also a deepening of thought and sometimes nobility of spirit. And yet, very often it seems that the basic point, the self, is untouched. Even though the more a person grows, the more the problem of the self should also grow, So it is that a certain depth is added to the solitary person. He finds a whole world of inner treasures and spiritual powers. These can occupy the mind and give one the feeling of connection with things, even if only for a time. But ultimately, the things that such a person attempts to cling to, as moorings, as fixed points are over and over again revealed as delusory. It is not that real points do not exist in the world, but rather that they are not permanent. A man cannot build on them and relate to them as something fixed and definite, because in the long run all these points, both in external space and in his interior depths, only refer in turn to one focal point, to that very self which has no anchor at all. The seeker is caught in a paradox. He is dismayed to learn that the resolution of the search for the self is not to be found by going into the self, that the center of the soul is to be found not in the soul but outside of it, that the center of gravity of existence is outside of existence. He may, to be sure, experience a glimmer of hope when he discovers that the focal point of individual existence can be found in existence as a whole. This discovery will bring him to what is stated in Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He becomes aware, in other words, that the center of being is in God and not in man. Only the point to be found at the center of the absolute provide the basis for a meaningful answer to the question that appears at first to be so very simple and so very distant from the search for the absolute. A person may therefore stray as far as possible, infinitely far from God, and there he can find the source of his deepest self, the point of the meaning of his soul. He orients himself on the map of his world and is startled and pained to learn that he is not necessarily its center. But recognizing that he is part of a larger existence that does go to the heart of the world, he can begin to take the path to this existence. Sometimes it may seem to a person that in such a position not at the center, but as a point on the periphery of himself, seeing his soul not as the first and the last of everything, but as a flash of the infinite light. He is losing himself, losing his freedom and independence. This is not so, of course. His previous sense of his existence, that he was its hero and king and God, is, besides being something of a sacrilege, an empty shell without content. Defining oneself only in relation to secondary things leaves one's being as nothing, but a series of empty shells, each dependent on the others for meaning. Thus, a man is defined as this one's friend, that one's son, the father of another, the one occupied with this or that, the one who thinks this or that, someone engaged with certain problems, And all these are only shadow relationships that leave him a faceless, empty figure trying to clothe himself with some visible individuation. Only when a man can relate his inner center to God as the first and foremost and only reality, only then does his self take on meaning. It ceases to be a relative entity without any content of its own, and becomes itself a significant content. Here we have what is perhaps the second paradox of the search for self, that only by ceasing to see oneself as a supremely independent essence can one say with all sincerity, this is where I am. It is a self-obliterating view of oneself that provides the true basis of all existence. That makes possible a firm grasp of the truth of reality. For then the circumscribing immensities of existence take shape in one's understanding and it becomes apparent that one is part of them. One becomes conscious of a vast arc, curving from the divine source to oneself, which corresponds to the question, Where do I come from? while at the same time a line curving from oneself to him, corresponds to the question, where am I going? And within this great circle, which includes all the levels of man, each person can discover the special lines of his own direction, which again, are not simply random points in reality, but are the expressions of his individual personality, the shape of his soul because even when all the souls flow in and out of the same primal source and all similarly aspire to reach out and grow and return to this source, even then the way of every soul, for all it has in common with and resembles all the others, is unique unto itself and justifies in separate existence. Myriads of sparks reflect the primal light, every one of them with its own situation and its own set of circumstances. When a man learns that just as he broods over himself, so does God yearn for him and look for him, he is at the beginning of a higher level of consciousness. From this moment he can begin to follow the guiding strings that are leading him, usually with enormous toll and labor toward the focal point of himself. For in truth, it is not one question with two sides, but a meeting place of two questions, that of man seeking himself and of God seeking man. Together they can approach a solution of the problem of man's existence. And in the search for this solution, within this desperate exploration, this going after God, a man will rediscover himself as well as the definition of his own particular being.